Previously on the Above Board Podcast. I don't use Google that much, but sometimes DuckDuckGo just sucks. Like DuckDuckGo is my default and probably 95% of the times I'm searching for something. You can't say that. They listen to this podcast. Who does? DuckDuckGo. Hi, I'm Daniel Davis, communications manager at DuckDuckGo. Well, Daniel, uh... It's good to have you on the show. It's good to uh, it's good to talk to another company that that cares about privacy. So welcome and and thank you for joining us on Above Board. Thank you, thank you very much. It's good to be here. And uh, yeah, I think you've mentioned us before in the past, haven't you? Exactly. We've got a whole bunch of questions for you, Daniel. We right, have got yeah. so many things that we're curious about, that our listeners are curious about. And uh, as the privacy, it's not even a trend. The privacy is not a trend. It's, it's becoming so much more than that. It's, not, um, it's a key change in the world. And people are listening to that and wanting to make the moves themselves. And they're thinking, well, how does this fit into my business? And companies like DuckDuckGo are just, they're the ones to talk to. So that's why we've got you on this podcast. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yes, we totally agree. It's not a trend. We've seen it. Um, w- we've been going for about 12 years now. And yeah, we've seen more and more people concerned about privacy every year, uh, to the point where it's now a mainstream issue. And I think it's possibly almost in two stages. Initially, it was a consumer desire for privacy. And that's now um, being reflected in on, on the business side with more and more companies wanting to provide that um, privacy protection, or at least re- respect for, for privacy. Yeah, and consumers are demanding it now. And if you're not respecting their privacy, that's a bad thing. And we're seeing these tools. We just released Phantom Analyzer and it's scanning people's websites to see if they're using tracking scripts and that kind of thing. People are looking at that stuff. And if you're tracking them using Google or whatever else, they don't like that stuff. And they're taking their business elsewhere because of it. So, so that's an interesting, interesting change. Not to mention all the privacy laws that have come into play, because there probably weren't even that many back 12 years ago. Was there, so was there any legislature back then around digital privacy and consumer rights on that? Uh, not that I'm aware of, although I think there were um, many com- countries that had like, privacy commissioners or some form of government that was involved in, in privacy. I think in those, in those days, it's probably more focused on the offline stuff, but that's gradually incorporated online. Uh, still lacking in that area, but yes, yeah, specific legislative legislation is something that's come more recently, and so, I think it's needed because, as you said, you more consumers have now got tools in their hands, um, so that it's harder for companies to hide the tracking that they do. However, behind the scenes, there are third-party data brokers still getting away with a whole load of um, maybe not direct data collection, but sort of aggregation of data collected in other places. And that's, the, the power that they hold is incredible and consumers can't do a lot directly. That's why we need more legislation. What kind of examples have you got on that that you know about? I, I've seen all the rumours that uh, the apps on your phone are listening to what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I bought into that for a while. I now think it's not true. And um, I've, I've seen a lot of, sort of intelligent privacy experts say, no, it's not actually true. It really yeah. feels like it. But there is so much other data out there that effectively they don't even need to listen to what you say because they're collecting so much detailed data they kind of almost know what you're going to say and I I was thinking okay how did it know about this this thing that I said and I wasn't using the web at the time and I think I was uh, in a store or something and then I realized I bought something with my credit card and that must have been it so okay the credit card is linked maybe not directly to Twitter but there's some yeah third-party uh, brokerage where all these companies like um, both provide their data to and um, get sort of anal- analysis or profiles back out of. Okay, and anecdotally, I've had that happen to to me twice, and um, I, I'm a tech head. You know, I'm thinking about it as well in the same way that you do. I was even thinking you're talking about things on the credit card. They could be looking at things that happened last year around this time, the kind of things that you would buy, uh, and they're resuggesting it to you, mm-hmm. which is uh, yes. Scary. One time I got a, an advert for a, a kimono um, on my feed and we just happened to have been having 
uh, tea in a cafe where another group was having their kimono club. I'm in Japan, I should explain for listeners. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and like, whoa, how did they know? Did they overhear the conversation that those, those ladies were having? And I've got, I don't think that's the case. I think they must have known that they've got a kimono club and they're also buying stuff and they go there every week. And so I'm in exactly the same location as them. They assume I'm in a kimono club or something like that. No, for sure. Hey, so 12 years ago, you started this company. We started our company, weren't we, 2018. We've been going for a little while now. And obviously, we're preaching to an audience that privacy is not unfamiliar. Now, 12 years ago, I mean, I, that was my, where are we? I'm trying to think where I was. I certainly didn't know about privacy. And I don't think anyone really cared about it. I mean, there was a small, it was a tinfoil hat thing, as Paul likes to say. Who were you preaching to? How did you get the word out? Um, I should point out, I didn't start the company. I no, no, sure. joined about five years ago. It was started by a guy called um, Gabriel Weinberg in, in Philadelphia in the US. And he uh, had previously done well with it as a startup. So uh, he had the funding from, from his personal uh, savings and he just wanted to work on interesting projects. And one of them was search is so bad. It's, there's so much spam in search results in, in those days. Um, it must be easier. There must be a better way to get the information you want when you're searching online. And he put out uh, DuckDuckGo kind of as a personal project, announced it on Hacker News, so really targeted at like, tech, tech <laughs> yeah. people. And I think one of the responses was, you know, are you keeping logs of, of what I'm searching or, you know, or my IP address? Uh, and Gabriel's response is, yeah, don't really need to. No, I'll stop doing it. And I think about five minutes later, he's like, okay, I'm not doing it now. And, and that was it. And at that point, yeah, privacy wasn't an issue. It was really, I suppose you could, you could use the term tinfoil hat, <laughs> um, but it gradually grew to become much, much more than that. Yeah, well, and you were a big part of that as well, obviously. I mean, yeah. yes. Uh, so before I joined, I was um, volunteering in their um, the head uh, GitHub uh, projects, and so I was uh, contributing code to that because at that point, you know, I believed in the, in the mission. I wanted this to succeed, and yeah, it grew from there. That's cool. Was there a point where, if in the beginning it was just D- Gabriel um, and whatever team was there wanted search to be better, was there uh, was there a point other than the oh are you tracking? And it's like no no logs now. Was there a point where there was a specific oh well we should be the the privacy focused search engine for people who want that or for people who think that that's important? I don't think there was like a particular. The moment I think it was quite gradual from that point of okay we don't need to, to collect logs and then that got traction on its own like that was was an appealing point and also it's search and you've got even those days you've got Google the sort of the dominant force um, it's one way you can compete with them because they can't offer privacy because their, their <laughs> business model is based on collecting data uh, so yeah I think it was a gradual thing where it, it just more and more people found that appealing so it became the the thing that DuckDuckGo stands for. And the evolution of that, of course, is that now we don't just do search, we do other privacy uh, protection tools. We have the extension of the desktop browsers, we have the mobile app, the uh, privacy browser. So we're effectively trying to offer privacy simplified full stop rather than just private search. No, that's cool. I've, uh, I've got a random question for you as well. Where did do you know where the uh, where the name Duck Duck Go came from? Because I think of Duck Duck, I think it was Duck Duck Goose in the UK. Is that where it came from? Uh, yes, it's uh, not a lot of thought went into it. Apparently, it was just uh, <laughs> Duck Duck Goose, and hey, we could shorten it to Duck Duck Go. How, how about that? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a name. Okay, we'll choose that one then. Uh, <laughs> that, that was it. I think it was about like, thirty seconds deliberation. And it's we we get a lot of comments on that. Okay, oh, it's a it's a fun name. Oh, it's a silly name, but yeah, it, it's, it's great. Yeah, and you also have duck.com. We do now. That I'm not going to ask how much that cost, but that probably wasn't cheap. I assume. Um, actually, we got that from Google. Uh, Google uh, owned that, and what? used that for their own um, searches. Were directed to to Google initially, and then they changed it to a page which contained links to several other sites, including .go. And then I think a couple of years ago, they transferred it to us. That's how we got it. Did not expect to hear that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, but still people know us as .go. So uh, we've, we've recently um, tried to sort of promote offline as well as online. So in the um, US and Europe, we've had billboard advertising. Yes. 
I, so I've heard. Yeah. yeah, so we still stick to the going brand. And it's funny you talk about billboards. I'm not kidding. Months ago, I was calling around billboard companies and I was trying to persuade Paul that we should do billboards. And when, when I saw that DuckDuckGo did it, I was, I was gutted. Uh, it's a great idea. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's awareness, isn't it? It's brand awareness. And you're, you're definitely at that point. I mean, we're all at that point, but mm-hmm. yeah, spreading the word. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a risk because it was just um, after the, the pandemic had really set in and people were not traveling. And so the, the physical advertising space there was really struggling. Uh, so there's a lot of inventory there. Uh, prices went down, but at the risk of like, maybe no cars will drive past. <laughs> so yeah. it was a bit of a it's also really hard to measure. I mean, we have a hard time measuring things anyway because we don't track people. But offline, in particular, is like you do, um, what we use a lot of um, to get data about our, our our audience. Really, is we do a lot of surveys, sending out questions and getting people to answer answer questions on that. And so that's how we tried to measure offline um, success: is surveys um, before and after we've done a campaign. But that's still difficult because you need to do a big number of people to really get a very visible improvement. I heard that you have a billboard in Brighton, UK. Is that correct? Uh, I think so, yeah. We had lots throughout the UK. Hey, so I'll give you an example of reach. One of my friends said they saw it. So uh-huh, uh, it's just it's funny how these things go full circle. And now I'm here talking to you saying that someone saw it. So they're, they're working uh, in ways that you won't ever be able to quantify. You know, like He'll never do a survey, but he mentioned to me, oh, I saw a billboard for DuckDuckGo. Well, yeah, yeah, we saw lots of people taking photos of them and sharing them. Um, We have a a subreddit where people just every day, there'd be new ones from Berlin or wherever. And that in itself, like created quite a buzz. So it was, it was good to see. It's great. And tech companies don't do a lot of billboard stuff. I mean, I don't, you don't typically, especially a search engine. I mean, like DuckDuckGo. I think that when you're not using all this data and things, you have to actually think think more creatively and just do these these random things to see what happens. And I think it was a good move personally. I, I like billboards. Thank you. Yeah, we, we also like our products. We deliberately kept it uh, simple, and we did get some comments that oh, he doesn't explain like what the the, the value is and you know, what I should do to put <laughs> What's that I can use. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, we kept it simple, but we yeah more and more mainstream people are concerned about their privacy. So we really need to do something to get the message out to the to non-techie people. It's simple. You can do something you know, to at least improve the privacy protection you have. Why the focus on simple? I'm, cur- I'm curious. Because we have the same, like we, we with our, our product, it has to be simple while protecting privacy. And it seems like DuckDuckGo is very similar where it has to be simple. I mean, your tagline even has the two words, right? That you, that you, that you said it has to be simple and pri- it has to be privacy simplified. Uh, yes, I think, um, well, first of all, initially, um, we were sort of uh, popular with a very, very techie crowd. and mainstream users were kind of missing out and so we wanted to appeal to mainstream users and also based on surveys we did we did a survey last year actually that in, a, in the us over 60 percent of people feel strongly about their privacy online and want uh, it to be in the constitution that the right to privacy is is legally protected so there is desperation by mainstream users for that um, people want privacy but we feel they currently feel powerless to do anything about it. That's a sentiment we've got from more sort of investigation. They don't know what to do. They think, ah, you know, I can't yeah. do anything. So, so I've just got to live with it. Um, what can we do to sort of to fix that? And the answer is just make it as simple as possible. Uh, embed these these um, different tools into a single product if we can, and just make it you know, enable it and. You don't need to worry kind of thing. And what do you track about your users? Because I can imagine you've got some kind of basic analytics, a few goal, um, goals and keywords being searched, obviously not tracking individual information. Um, but what, what do you track? Uh, so we don't know how many users we have, and that makes us quite unusual compared to other companies. But we can count the number of searches that we serve. Obviously, you know, every time somebody searches something on our servers, we can count that um, anonymously without... Uh, collecting personal data and we make that public at duckduckgo.com slash traffic and so we that that shows a very nice sort of upward upward curve that gives us currently about 80 million uh, searches a day and the industry sort of average is that people search about 30 times a month 
obviously it's going to vary widely. I'm sure you and I have said much more than that, but yeah. at the other end of the, the scale of very, very non-technical users, probably just casual. They, they immediately go to their social media sites and probably don't search very much. So on average, let's say 30 people, 30 searches a month, which works out at one per day. So therefore we can say if we get 80 million searches a day, that's roughly the equivalent of, of 80 million users. For sure. Yeah. So that's how we just sort of estimate our usage. Um, then we have uh, surveys that we do either um, using something like SurveyMonkey and going, surveying the general audience or putting out um, a sort of something in the app or something, asking our existing users to go and help out with the, with the survey. Oh, so like in search results? Sorry, are you saying like in search results, a survey it could pop up that, that says I click this to fill in a survey? Yes, I don't think we've done that with search results, but I think we've done that with the app. We do collect feedback as well. We have feedback links in, in the search results as well. Um, in addition, with um, the extension and with the app, of course, um, we can count the number of downloads and installs. And even on um, Android, for example, they put it on their public um, uh, Play Store page for the app. Um, so we can see we've had over 10 million downloads just for the Android app. That's how we can collect Easy. statistics and without tracking people sometimes it is difficult but it's not impossible and it's, it's difficult but the need for privacy is more important what other things do you, so you do the applications you have the web the um the mobile apps what else do you do outside of search and what else are you kind of dancing with at the moment that you're considering that you can talk about and what interests ah. you as a company all right so we have the um the desktop extension called privacy essentials which is for desktop um, Firefox, Chrome, Vivaldi, Brave, uh, Safari. And that includes a few uh, features. It includes one where um, it encrypts websites that you visit automatically if they're unencrypted and if they're able to be encrypted. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So you've got HTTP versions of a website and HTTPS versions. And some sites still won't switch you automatically to HTTPS. So if you don't type that in, and you're on the unencrypted version. And so we try and detect that and automatically switch you over. And it takes a fraction of a second and you don't notice just to provide an encrypted uh, connection to that website. We also provide tracker blocking within the extension. And, um, and obviously, private search is packaged within that. The mobile app is very similar. It provides the same automatic site uh, sort of en encrypted um, versions. It includes the uh, tracking, but it also it's a private browser, so it has a feature where you can press this little fire button, and it literally is an icon of a bit of, of a fire, and that will immediately wipe all the data from your um, from from the browser. So all the all the tabs that are open, all the cookies that have been collected or that have been saved, all, all disappears. That so it's a one a touch. Yeah, privacy disappear. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very popular, but the, um, we found that people weren't using it or some people weren't using it because there are some sites they want to stay logged into, like social media sites. So uh, now we, yeah. you can fireproof certain, certain sites that you go to. So you press the fire button, everything's deleted except that you know, two or three sites that you fireproof that you, you log into all the time. That's fascinating. No, I'm just hearing your, your point about the privacy essentials. You know, obviously, we know about various other um, add-ons that do that for you, but you put it into one package. So someone only needs to download that. They haven't got to worry about all these other extensions. It's just there for them, including the tracking blocker. One might say that's simple. <laughs> privacy simplified. That's what we're aiming for. Um, we did see there's a, there's a gap. There are other privacy tools out there, but we found that a lot of them require some knowledge or some tweaking, setting it up, um, or even some you know, mon ongoing maintenance or monitoring. And we found there's a gap for people who just want to install something and forget about it and not even notice that it's there. It's just working in the background. That's what we've tried to do. If you do want to interact with it, then every website you go to, the, the, um, you click on the extension icon, it'll show you a little dialog box with a privacy grade of the website that you're on, both before and after we've blocked all the trackers on it. That's so awesome. you can just be nosy and see what they're trying to do in the background. I think that kind of stuff is really good. I mean, obviously, technical users use that as well, but it's really good for relatives and friends who perhaps don't know about this. And you can just say, oh, just, just get this. And then you're ready to go. You haven't got to say, get this plug in, get this plug in, get this plug in. So I do like how you package that. I think that's a really good idea. That's what we I'm, try to do, yes. Um, yeah. Similarly, with the, um, the privacy browser on mobile, try to do the same thing, but not to the extent that it becomes cumbersome and, mm -hmm. and people don't want to use it. And so, yeah, that was what was happening 
with sort of a blanket data removal. Yes, it's it's private, but some people don't necessarily want to go that far. And what tell me, so what is your middle ground with privacy? Because we've we've dealt with businesses all the time and they, they'll ask us for certain features, they'll want to do something like um, funnels with analytics or they'll want to do certain things that we're just never going to do and we get we get emails from these crazy com- big companies that just want this 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 and this and that we can never do it and sleep at night right but mm-hmm. at the same time we still know that people need to have unique visits to a site and we we invented this modification so we don't fingerprint but we do a, a recycled hash to, to get a form of uniques it's obviously not going to be if you see um, 100 monthly uniques it's not going to be 100% accurate, but we've just gone with a way which we think is a good balance between privacy um, and useful information. So my question to you is, what's the middle ground? Because you go too private and no one has any analytics on the website, right? You just say bye to all, all of that. And, or you go the other way and you're just tracking everything about a user and you're tracking them over the course of a year, you're storing cookies for however long and it just gets gross. So where do you personally or as a company think that the middle ground is with this kind of thing? The, the the main um, thing we try to aim for is no trade-off, no trade-off for people who want privacy. And so if there is a way, we actually have one of our teams internally is, is the privacy team, basically, and they just work on the conceptual uh, sort of, um, or, or sometimes in detail engineering, but it, where privacy, um, anything that happens in the company has to go through the privacy team just to ensure that it's... That sounds like us. We do that with us, yeah. So, yeah, the the thing is that there should be no trade-off. And if if we have to sacrifice something to to be private, um, no. If we have to sacrifice some privacy to make something happen, we we can't accept that. That's just not going to work. Uh, What we can do sometimes is offer users a choice. And so, for example, in our search settings, we offer... um, get and post requests. Uh, so this is kind of aimed at the technical audience here, but when you search um, for something on DuckDuckGo, you go to the results page and at the top, the URL will show question mark Q equals headphones or something, whatever you searched for. That's called a get request where the search terms are visible in the URL. And uh, some people, for example, if you're using a computer in a public place or, or someone's staring over your shoulder, actually, they can see your search results anyway. Anyway, there, there are some cases where somebody, maybe. Right, somebody might not want to have that, uh, that URL being visible or being there in the, the browser history. So in that case, they can go to the settings and choose post requests where it's sent um, as a form, the, the query is sent within the form and not viewable in the URL. But then that means it's not in the history, the browser history. It's not, uh, the results page can't be bookmarked, for example. So there are some downsides to that. In that case, we choose what is private and convenient, but also give people an option if they really want to opt out of that. And this brings me up to a thought I've been having over the last few weeks or a few months. There's There's a group of people on the internet that I refer to as privacy radicals. And what I mean by that is it's the kind that what you do is never enough. You are measured up to a standard of perfection. So you're going to post something. They're going to say, oh, you look, but you're doing this. So your intention's not like this. So I think they're so used to actually looking at big tech and big tech being sneaky. And they feel so skeptical when they're just waiting for someone to pull the wall over their eyes. And it just, everything you do is never enough. And you're always going to get this criticism from them. How do you deal with that? Because DuckDuckGo is... You're, you're at the top of the mountain and you're doing all these privacy things. You must get situations where someone says, that's not good enough because you just, you can't avoid it, right? So how do you deal with that? Uh, we take that seriously and we do listen. Um, there was one recently where the way we were handling Favicons um, or Favicons, however you like to pronounce it, um, in the app for, for your bookmarks, for example, uh, we did get quite a lot of feedback that we were doing that the wrong way. Right. And so... We looked into it. We still feel that we were providing a fully private service, uh, but the optics were not as good as they could have been. So we then changed the way we did it. And we, we had to make, a, we changed the way we did it very, very quickly. That meant fewer Fabicons were appearing. So then we had to go in and make a lot of sort of further changes over time to try and get back to the level of service that we had previously, although the level of privacy was actually the same. 
So if there are enough people talking about it, because yeah, I suppose that makes sense. It's it's not just if it's enough people talking about it, you'll take note. And if you consider it to be reasonable, you'll take note as well. I don't know. I just, that's something that's really on my mind is how do you separate the people that will never be happy? You're always going to be doing something wrong in their eyes. Uh, yes, I think it has to be a compromise at some point. Um, so yeah, we look out for when there's enough people who are demanding something and then we look at the privacy implications and if it, there, there are none, then it's fine. And then we will consider the 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 optics of it like how how it looks and this mm -hmm. might seem sort of flippant but i think trust is extremely important and a lot of trust is based on how things look if, if a company is very transparent then more trust is going to be built in in that company and um, even though the way it works might be no different to a company that is not transparent so the, the optics of, of things is very important as well our overall um motto is sort of build a new standard of trust online it's not provide more privacy online. So privacy is a huge part of that, but it's also yeah, making people feel that the technology they can use uh, can be trusted. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That makes sense. That's actually a good, great answer. Just a random question that popped into my mind. How many people are there at DuckDuckGo? Because we've actually interacted with you through different departments a few times. And it's just been funny how there's, you know, one person here, one person there, and then someone else is, you know, here. How many people are there? Uh, we're up to about 120. Now. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, you more, than surprised. more than you expected. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But also it's hard to expect it's hard to it's hard to kind of figure that out. It's I guess from our background too, it's like it, it takes a lot of work to build something very simple. <laughs> right. So somebody could see something and be like, okay, well that's that's very simple, so it must be easy. And we know firsthand that that is not the case. And the amount of data that he, that DuckDuckGo has to process to to search the whole internet, there's 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 some work there. <laughs> well, um, a lot of people wonder, like, can you compete with Google uh, and uh, the size of Google? And um, if we wanted to have the same sort of artificial intelligence and the same uh, t technical power as them, then no, we probably couldn't. On the one hand, we can compete on features, and our main feature is privacy, which is very difficult for them to compete with. Um, but also, we can leverage the work of others. And so we do with a lot of, lot of partners to provide the features that we have in, in DuckDuckGo Search. And one of those is Apple Maps, for example. So we partner with Apple Maps, and, and we get maps and directions in DuckDuckGo Search without us having to build that. And that's one way we can we can do it just realized i, I was su surprised at 120 people you think about google search team how big that must be you probably have a a tiny percent of i can't even imagine actually do you have any numbers do you know how big their search team is oh no idea actually i'm guessing it's in the thousands or tens yeah, of thousands. yeah uh, yeah don't know i forget about the quantity of data and i was going to ask that as well i think i i saw a clip of Elon Musk's talking about how much data Google is processing and how the machine learning can just do all of this stuff. And I do wonder about DuckDuckGo. Um, and I guess the goal isn't to compete with Google and keep up with all of their tech, but you, you can still give great results and um, yeah, and focus on the privacy. What, do you yes. have anything in the works? Are you looking at artificial intelligence and machine learning? Are you curious about that? Um, we have a couple of people internally who are interested in machine learning, but at the moment we're not using that in, in any uh, products. Uh, what we do have that is not so visible is uh, oh, that thing called smarter encryption I mentioned earlier where um, a, um, we'll detect whether a website is encrypted or not and if it isn't we'll try to switch it over to an encrypted yep. version. That's something that we package and we can license out to other companies. Um, for example, Pinterest uses that. Um, so when you like something, it will like the encrypted version of a website. Sorry, not like you pin. You pin something, <laughs> it'll pin the encrypted version if it's available, and that uses our technology in the background. It's like a and, reverse proxy or something. It sounds like is that what it is? Uh, no, not really. No, it just um, detects whether there's an encrypted version available and then changes the URL. Oh, okay, right, cool. Um, <laughs> That's great. And then we have a thing called Tracker Radar, which is. Uh, sort of a couple of components. On the one hand, it's sort of research looking into the tracking methods. So we research not just the cookies, which people are moving away from cookies because they're finding more sneaky ways of tracking us because I know so many people block cookies. So what are those sneaky methods and what can we do to stop those, uh, like browser fin fingerprinting, for example? Or one thing we're seeing is where um, third-party trackers 
are, are being blocked by our, our, our tracker blocker. And so they'll try and disguise them as first tra party trackers on a different domain. And we try and look at the, the ways they're doing that. And yeah, if, if we can um, block those. So that's one part of tracker radar. And the other part is just building a huge list of all these domains that are doing these things. And this is on, on GitHub, so it's probably available for others to use. And then we also license that out. To, for other companies to use in their products as well. And on the topic of fingerprints, um, if anyone's listening in a, and don't know, doesn't know too much about fingerprints, I think if you search something called Am I Unique and go and look at the amount of, of information that they'll, they'll use to fingerprint and isolate you, and they can track you over many months. I mean, things change, but it is scary. There's a scary amount of stuff on your computer and we do have, or your device, and we do have regulation coming in. So we have got e-privacy and, um, and PECA in the UK, which are exciting regulations. And we're hoping to speak to the, um, the working party next year. I think it's nearly there. I think there are some changes that need to, to happen um, with it. I think it needs to be more uh, similar to GDPR with the lawful base of the six lawful bases. But the, the e-privacy directive and, and PECA in the UK, they're saying, you know, you can't access information on a user's terminal equipment. And you can get a ton of stuff on the terminal equipment. It is scary, like I say. So do search for Am I Unique and search for that on DuckDuckGo and you'll find it. I have a question about trackers though, because we offer a third-party tracker, right? Like that's our business. <laughs> so how does so does DuckDuckGo, so with the, the blocker, and I actually have that installed on my own Firefox. How does, do you just basically say, okay, all third-party trackers are bad and should be blocked? Or is there, because we obviously are a third-party tracker, but we don't track any, we don't track personal things. We track website data. We don't track personal data across the internet kind of thing, which is like the basis of Fathom, right? So how does, how does that work? Um, how, how do you guys think about that, I guess, is what I'm curious about. Uh, I, I don't work on that team and I don't know the details, but we don't do a blanket block of any third party code because then we would get so many things breaking. And there's a lot of legitimate third party code on, on websites. Uh, so we do have to, um, yeah, just look out for the stuff that is doing the tracking. And this is the same with adverts as well. Um, we don't just blanketly block adverts because we think adverts are a valid business model. And that's how DuckDuckGo makes money, it's through adverts, but it's through adverts that are not tracking. So you can have adverts for, you search for headphones on DuckDuckGo, you'll see uh, potentially an advert for headphones. It's not collecting any data from you. It's not building a profile about you. And it's only based on your search at that moment rather than some mystery profile that is stored on a computer somewhere. Okay, and I, I, we get asked this so much on Twitter. You know, do you have anything that's like Fathom but for adverts? And you're talking about some kind of ethical advertising. I think you've recommended someone before. I mean, are there lots of companies that do ethical advertising? There are not many, no. And we do have an um, article on our blog. Uh, the do, blog yeah. is spreadprivacy.com, and it's how to live without Google, and it has a bunch of um, alternatives on there. But advertising is one difficult one that I think we had trouble trying to come up with. There was one that actually um, sadly uh, went out of business just early this year, and I cannot think immediately of any good alternatives. What we do internally, we, you know, we, we just have our own system we use um ads from the bing network microsoft bing network in the background but then without sending them any data without collecting data and without sending them any personal data so we're yeah, kind of able it's... to do that in a proxy way but that's just our own system and we don't like, sell that to others we don't have that system for others. Uh, no that's a really interesting way can other people do that or do you have a, a deal with microsoft uh, yeah so people could do it but they would have to obviously negotiate the terms in, in individually yeah, that makes sense because i i do i mean we have a question here about the future of advertising and i mean, I love the way that DuckDuckGo does the advertising and it excites me to see that kind of thing because that's just such a, a forward thinking way of doing it but but then what's the future with smaller businesses because we have people with their blogs or their websites they want to use adverts it's, it's not going to be a lot of money for them to start off with but they haven't got many options you know google adsense no one wants to use that so do you think the future has anything in store DuckDuckGo working on anything? Uh, we're not, no. That's, uh, we are focusing on making privacy simple for end users and mm -hmm. advert, that seems like a, a big, big challenge in a different direction. So <laughs> we, we, we're going to focus on what, we, what we're doing at the moment. But the future of advertising, it's an interesting one, though. There are 
as we talked about earlier, there's increasing um, privacy legislation. At the moment, we have GDPR throughout the whole of Europe. We have CCPA, which is just California in the US. But there's a lot of desire, not just from users, but from bipartisan politicians as well, for federal, like um, USA-wide privacy regulation. And I think that's just a trend that's going to increase throughout the world through different countries. So you've got that pressure there. And um, with users as well, like finding their own solutions, their their own um, tracker blockers and trying to opt out as well. Eventually, we're going to get to the point where it becomes unviable, I think, for companies to continue to um, have advertising solutions based on, on tracking. So that is kind of going to force the ad industry to change. Maybe not completely. Maybe some things will look the same. But I think we'll see more and more people adopt contextual advertising. And the, there are some case studies. I think it was the New York Times who looked into, um, as an experiment, I think, they went towards contextual advertising and actually found that the, they were able to continue supporting their revenue without relying on... Yes, I, I remember this. I found this. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, we wrote about the ineffectiveness of targeted ads versus other types of ads on, on our blog. I think it was... La- I wrote that article last week, maybe. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So what was interesting about that for people who haven't read it is... And I'd never considered this, so perhaps other people haven't. You're going to pay more money for a more targeted, competitive keyword. Whereas if you were to do more generic advertising, yeah, well, such as a billboard, right? Versus super targeted, super competitive. And I'd never thought of that before, because I, you know, it's just an interesting shift in my in my thinking. Because we don't do targeted advertising, but we like the um, the way that DuckDuckGo does it. We like DuckDuckGo does do tar. Don't does DuckDuckGo run ads on Google? One of our listeners, uh, Cat Allen, said that DuckDuckGo does does ads on Google. So you've thought about this, right? So can you talk about um, the reasoning and the the explanation? Because I'm super curious about this. We do, yes. Um, we also have videos on YouTube as well, promotional videos on YouTube. Yeah, we do too. Uh, it's Similar to the way um, that we also post onto Facebook. Um, at the same time, we're very critical of um, Google's business practices, uh, Facebook's uh, business practices, but that's where the majority of our, of our users are. So what we want to do now is you know, we want to appeal to a mainstream audience. We want to make um, privacy simple, but we also want to increase awareness of the privacy issues to a mainstream yeah. audience, and that's where they are. So at present, we feel that's what we need to do for the, the greater goal. And that's interesting. I remember this because I, I was I was previously quite um, solid personally on you. Sh- you don't advertise on Google. You should never do that. You shouldn't give them money. And as Paul said, Cat Allen replied to me and, and said, you know, duck, duck, go do it. And that got me thinking because obviously you've thought about this a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to reach those people. That's like, it's funny, Paul. That's how we justified YouTube. I know. I was going to say we went back and forth so much on YouTube, and what we did, we created a layer between YouTube and the internet. So people, when we, when we share a YouTube video, we share a page on our website that links to YouTube that scrubs out. So there's no, it doesn't say, oh, this was a clip. YouTube doesn't know this was a clip from Twitter. This was a clip from a website. It just sends it to this one page where nothing is set. And that's how, yeah, that's how we kind of figured it out. But you're right. Like there, we, we're in the same place. We want to reach these people. We want, we want these people to know that there's, there are better options for analytic, Google Analytics in our case. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like what we've, we spent so much. Nobody's given us a hard time about using YouTube, but we spent so many months t- internally talking about it and trying to figure out, okay, what's the best solution here? Yes. Um, it, we, we get a lot of feedback as well. People saying, thank you for that. They didn't know this was happening and what, what can I do? And, and, you keep thinking, wow, we, you know, we've reached so many people now, we must be sort of getting saturation point, but we continue to get people who are like receiving the message for the first time. But wow, there's still a long way to go. <laughs> and that's such a good point. So, so Daniel, do you imagine you've got, you've got a small business, okay, it's your own business, and a lot of our listeners are small business owners, and they're, they're feeling a bit, they're feeling, I guess, gross about the idea of using Google advertising. What do you say to them? <laughs> <laughs> I... Well, oh, I think there are alternatives, and I just can't think of the name. There was one called Buy Sell Ads, but I'm not sure if that's sort of. I haven't looked at their privacy policy, so I don't know. Okay. But there are um, ways of advertising which um, might be uh, better targeted for a particular medium. 
for example, newsletters are really popular at, yes, at the moment. Yes, yes. Yeah. And if you want to advertise in newsletters, um, there are companies that specialize in that. So you can go through them. You reach your, your target audience within a particular like, format without going through Google. Not only that, because it's quite sort of narrow format, you know roughly what situation the reader is going to be in. They're going to be sitting there you know, going through their email reading um, rather than um, you know, browsing videos or something. And so that might even help you tailor the message of that particular ad more suited for that, uh, that format. So, so your messages that, don't just use Google. Right. There are a lot of options out there. I think pe people, the default is people think that Google, that, that must be the end answer. But I think there are a lot of options out there. Difficult sometimes, but it's definitely worth looking. And, uh, and, and podcast sponsorship. And, and we'd like to thank PG Tips for this. It's not Monster Energy anymore. Daniel, we've got this ongoing joke where I, I, I word things in a certain way that sounds like we're being sponsored by companies, but we're not. So, uh, and then people say, well, you're sponsored by Monster Energy Drink? No, that's not what I said. <laughs> we don't have a, there's no, it wouldn't make sense for a show that's basically our company to have a sponsor, but it's fun to joke. Yeah, those kimonos I was talking about earlier, they're actually from, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so has, I mean, hearing that Google gave you a domain and that was unexpected, what is your relationship like with, uh, with Google? And, and have they ever tried to, you know, slip you a bit of cash or try and buy the company that you can talk about, of course? I don't want to be too cheeky here. No, that's fine. Um, yeah, we, we struggle with a uh, rumor that we see on social media a lot that, that um, Google owns us. And so we'll put out, <laughs> we'll put out something critical i mean only like the the, the, the business sense yeah, yeah. and um so we'll put out something critical of, of google or a way um like something that they've announced and then we'll look into it in detail and say hey actually it's not that private you know what it, on the face of it is not as good as it seems and people will come back and say yeah whatever you know they own you anyway <laughs> where is this coming from it's, it's quite frustrating so yeah we are not owned by google we are not um you know, in, in partnership with them we are an independent and um, private company. And they've never tried to say, hey, let's let's acquire you, aqua hire you, anything like that? Not to my knowledge, but I don't have microphones in all the, the meeting rooms in Google. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. Know. That's a diplomatic yeah. answer. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it, it, I mean, yeah, I can't, uh, who knows what would happen, but I can't imagine DuckDuckGo selling to Google. It seems uh, a bit far, it's against the mission. It seems far-fetched. Um, on the topic of, of you reviewing Google's privacy things, Google is trying to push privacy in their analytics product and no one's buying it because Google and privacy are just opposite. And, you know, it's like Facebook saying they care about privacy. No one's buying it. You know, oh, we care about privacy, but, you know, this year we're going to do this, this and this. Have you checked out Google's latest updates with the, the privacy focus? Uh, not regarding Google Analytics, but yeah we take everything with a grain of salt really and so if a, a, a related example if i think about um with chrome they announced they were going to stop uh, relying on on cookies uh or they were going to start um what was it ah, i mean so many things it was something about they were not going to was it the refers there was that but it's i think i think you're thinking of the secure site things with cookies they weren't going to accept third-party cookies or something that, that's it that's the one yes yes um but when we looked into it it's like yeah it's not um quite as as good as it seems because there's there, there are now so many ways you can get the same data without relying on cookies so on the face of it it looks like um oh we're going to block cookies um but in reality it's not going to make a huge difference there was another one recently as well where they were going to introduce something and it turns out it was after six months or something so yeah they can store they, they need it for six months and then they'll get rid of it but by that time it's pretty yeah. wow we we feel, <laughs> we start getting worried at twenty four hours, and there are companies doing six months. That's uh, yeah, that's yeah, kind of scary. We need to, yeah. The the headline looks good, but when you look at the fine details, there are often um, sort of things that make it seem not so great. And the world relies on on DuckDuckGo for things like that. Hey, so tell I have this memory, and it may it may be completely fake. You can tell me. Um, did you beef with Google? Like, did, was Google removing you from the search? Is that something that happened or is that another company? Like they were no, removing your results and you had to use... No, that wasn't you? No, we, we, no they've, they've never done that. Um, so yeah, we do have um, you know, not the best relationship in the world with them because we are very critical of their, of their practices. Um, but in particular right now, uh, I think they're very um, 
they're, they're super dominant. They're effectively a, close to a monopoly in search. And so they do have to be careful because of all the legal eyes on them now. So That's interesting, actually. I'm thinking they're giving you this domain. Oh, that's so kind of them. I don't want to be uh, negative here. You know, I don't know Google. I don't know, I don't know who did that. But they, I hadn't even thought they've got to think about that, how they look in terms of competitiveness. If they can say we gave a multi-million dollar domain to a competitor, that looks good. It, I mean, it looks good hearing it. Yeah, that was, uh, I think, a couple of years ago now. Um, whereas just recently, we've seen the, the um, sort of antitrust uh, discussions around, around Google. So that's quite different from what happened a couple of years ago. But we are seeing um, more and more a concern about their, their dominance. And uh, yeah, it's close to a monopoly. We have currently, at the moment, according to StatCounter and other sites, about one to two percent of search wow. in um, various countries, not especially Western countries right now, and we feel that could be much higher if it was easier for people to choose that they go or other um, Google alternatives, uh, you know, search alternatives, um, especially privacy-focused ones. And we've done um, tests with like a mock-up of what a, a, a search preference screen would like. So when you get a Google device, oh, sorry, an Android device, obviously Google search is, right now is, is the default. Um, but a lot of people don't want that. And so we want uh, an easy way for people to choose to opt out. Uh, so which search engine would you like to use? There's a randomized list of search engines. Um, in um, research that we've done, we found that up to 20% of people would choose something that wasn't Google. Okay, didn't Microsoft have the same thing with Internet Explorer? Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah, that was forced on them Yeah, many, many years ago. They had to offer people a choice of browser when they got a, a computer with a Windows system on. So it's a very, very similar thing. Yeah. So, and this is, makes me really curious. What, what are the big struggles with, for DuckDuckGo right now? So obviously you've got the, the, a monopoly of Google. I guess you're not really, you're not competing with you sort of are, but you, you're not competing to get their entire business, but you, you obviously want an additional share because that means people are then protected, their privacy is protected, and it, it fits into your mission. What are your big challenges that you can publicly um, talk about? Yeah. The, the big challenge is still, well, well too, yeah, it is getting the message out. Um, so there's increasing concern about privacy, and then so many people either not knowing what to do about it or thinking that the solution is so complicated that yeah, it's not even worth trying. So the message is, yes, there, it is easy to get uh, like simple privacy protection. That's, that's probably our biggest one right now. And then the next um, problem is trying to just, just keep up with the devious ways that people are, are tracking out there. It's like a cat and mouse game where people are trying to track you on the internet as much as they can in new ways. And we're trying to keep up with that and stop them. And I, st whenever I think about that, I just think the, the law needs to get it right globally. Right. So then we can have, like, we talk about this middle ground. What is the middle ground? Cause they are there. You hear about the, the fingerprinting, the advertisers following you around the web and everything else. If we could just move away from that and find that center where we're protecting user privacy, but we're still getting this business value and everything else. To me, that's the sweet spot anyway. Um, and, and people will continue to avoid it all whilst it's legal. Right. And a lot of company, a lot of countries don't care. You talk about the uh, United States might be doing something federally, or there's talk of that. That would be huge. Can you imagine if that came into effect? People would actually yeah. have to stop doing this crazy stuff. It, it's actually, um, although the, the, the CCPA regulation, that's California only, that is also having a sort of national effect because so many tech companies are hosted in, in California. Yeah. And Microsoft, for example, they said that uh, they're going to apply their CCPA sort of rules nationally. Oh, good. I think in many cases, because that's the easiest thing to do rather than work out which states people are visiting from and then change it. Or somebody might be living in a, a citizen of a particular state, but they're visiting from a different state. And it's easier now for many companies to say, okay, we want to comply with CCPA in California. Let's just apply it nationwide. So it, we're heading in that direction, definitely. Same with um, um, GDPR. If you're a big company, you may be able to work out technical solutions, but keeping up with all the um, regulations, a lot of um, websites I've seen are getting a third-party service for that little cookie pop-up that you see at the bottom of the screen. They're just relying on that, sticking it on their site, and then whoever visits, visits. 
is able to control the cookies that's been collected. I, here in Japan, I see that a lot, even though I'm not covered by GDPR. <laughs> uh, it's, it's nice to see. And more and more now, I'm seeing not just we collect you know, cookies, click here to accept it, but I'm seeing that the default is the tracking cookies are disabled. Now, they often have a big button saying accept all. Yeah. Um, but if you go and collect, uh, check, um, click the like, control my settings, then things are off by default very often, which is nice to see. And that's thanks to a, a law on the other side of the world. That's amazing. Yeah, no, I've, I've seen that too. Even in Canada, I've seen these things and I'm thinking, what are they doing? We, you know, we haven't got GDPR here. So that's been, uh, been interesting. Do you have anything to plug? Anything that people should be thinking about? Anything that people should try? What are you thinking? Kimonos, Starbucks. <laughs> I've probably plugged the, um, <laughs> the Affinity extension enough, um, but I'd like to offer a couple more tips actually for, for users. Sure. And uh, just general privacy tips. I know you've got a lot of business um, owners, but we're all individuals as, as well. Yep. And we're all walking around with a little computer in our pockets that's got a microphone and a camera and uh, also um, little sort of gyroscopes and, and sensors inside it. So even with the mic and the camera off, these sensors can detect what you're doing at any particular time. Uh, they can work out whether you're lying down, presumably asleep or browsing on your phone in bed whether you're walking, whether you're cycling, whether you're just sitting still, it's uh, incredible. So when you're installing apps, I think it's very important to look at the permissions that those apps require because sometimes they need to access to these sensors or they say they need access and it's nothing to do with what the app is actually for. Like if it's a music recording program and it wants to know the, um, the, the device motion sensor, then that's, that's a bit weird. So very often you can control those individual permissions. You can still install the app but not give it permission to that particular bit. So I would pay attention to the permissions it requires when you install it. But equally, after it's installed, you can then go through in the settings and look at the permissions that apps you already use have access to. And quite often it's enlightening. They may have added something with the latest update. So definitely every now and then go and look through the, the permissions that your apps require and see if you can get rid of some of those. The best thing, of course, is just to uninstall apps that you don't use very often. So yeah, a good sort of um, like refresh of your apps is, is useful every now and then. And another thing is the privacy settings on phones now is pretty good. They're, they're giving you more and more control over your privacy. So definitely go and look at those. And there are some obvious ones like, you know, don't share my location, blah, blah, blah. But if you go, um, I don't know about Android, but on iOS, there is a privacy setting that um, enables you, well rather, it enables apps to assign a unique identifier to you. And you can go and reset that every now and then. So your phone has a unique identifier and apps, if they can, if you've got two or three apps that are somehow linked together with that single identifier, they know that you're the same person. And so they can link your behavior to the, together from these different apps and build up a more detailed profile of you. So it's worth going in and resetting that advertise, uh, that identifier every now and then. Just think of things like that. And I just think they could do that automatically. You know, have it change hourly or something, and then you could just avoid all these problems, but they don't. So that's true. Yeah. Things might change, things might change, but that's no, those are really good tips, Daniel, and we appreciate it. And uh, yeah, okay. as well as the DuckDuckGo app and extension, of course. Of, of course, of course. So thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing all of that knowledge and for having a conversation with us. It's been, it's been a real treat and a real pleasure. So yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. And as I say, I really like that we're, we're getting more companies like you offering. Um, not just an, an alternative, but the, the whole sort of essence is more about trust and transparency. And yeah, so thank you. 